Hello and welcome to the MMA Reaction. This is me, your host, E. Koi Ivy. That's not stupid. Anyway, today, uh, on this little bit early edition of the MMA Reaction, we're going to talk about a few things. Uh, first up is Sao Paulo recap. Just the things I gave a shit about. Uh, Bellator's fight this weekend, 206. John Jones, uh, new information regarding his suspension and requirements, things of that nature. UFC 229 press conference, uh, all the ridiculousness that surrounded that. To include Lobob's comments about Connor's grappling ability. Uh, Gustafson is still trying to get a, a, a Jones rematch. And then, of course, Joshua and Povican fight. I know it's boxing, but it's still interesting to me. Tune in, guys. Appreciate it. All right, we're going to start off with UFC Sal Paulo recap real quick. I'm not going to recap the entire card, but um, just some of the fights of interest to me or some of the information. So first, Tiago Santos defeats Eric Anders by referee stoppage, TKO, round three. I think in this fight, we learned more about Eric Anders than we did about Tiago Santos. We already knew that Tiago Santos was, was super strong. Very skilled striker. We already kind of knew he was going to bring the table, but what we didn't know about Eric Anders necessarily was that the dude's got a legit, legit heart, super tough dude, and uh, apparently he's got a very good chin as well because Tiago hit him with some big shots and he kind of just walked right through him. Didn't really seem uh, too hurt by much. Now, obviously, his body was pretty broken down and he could barely find his stool by the end of the third round which is why they stopped it in the first place. But I think um, definitely got more respect for Eric and get that Eric, well, and Tiago, they're both replacement fights and short notice. Obviously, Eric only came in at like six or seven days. He was absolutely exhausted and quite literally, I don't think he had anything more to give and was forced to stop. Although, it, I don't think he was winning the fight. Definitely, he definitely wasn't winning. I think Tiago handled him, but there's many factors at play. One, it's a it's a weight class above what he normally fights at. Same for Tiago, uh, and I think I think Tiago might be better suited for light heavyweight. To be honest, and I think he said as much. He said he felt really good at light heavyweight. I think the cut to 185 must be absolutely brutal for Santos, because even at 205 he looked pretty big. So we'll see what happens. I really I would really like to see this fight again but like maybe at 185 or at the very least stay at 205 but have both of these guys with a long you know six to eight week fight camp and and make sure that eric is in really good condition um i can't remember exactly how long tiago had to get in shape for this but i think he had just previously had that uh had a fight and i think he was already in pretty good shape so but I guess Eric did too, so who knows. Um, Tiago looked great. Eric, I think, won many fans uh, with his performance. And uh, overall, it was a really good fight, um, in spite of the fact that it was stopped early. Uh, let's see. Uh, the younger Little Dog defeats Sam Elby by TKO punches. I don't know if you guys watched that, but pretty sloppy. Pretty sloppy affair, uh, at least on Sam, smiling Sam Alvey's part. He was just kind of swinging for the fence. He ended up catching one right right against the fence and went out. Look, it looked kind of brutal, actually. He kind of fell. It was like one of those where you get shot and just drop straight to his knees. I kind of felt bad for Sam. I really like Sam. 
Um, but, you know, 42 years old, little Nog still getting it done. Um, I think I'm kind of overseeing him fight. He's, he's an older dude, got a lot of miles on his body. Um, I don't know where Sam goes from this. Um, he looked a little soft for 205, and I know he used to fight at 185. I'm not sure why exactly he went up to 205. Maybe he's tired of cutting weight, but nonetheless, uh, Antonio Rogerio Nogueira beats Smi Smiling Sam Alvey. Uh, Henan Barral loses a split decision, but he also came in at like 141 and a half pounds. Now, he, at one point, at one point, he was the bantamweight champion and he was complaining about how hard it was to cut weight um and so for he was fighting at feather and this was like this was post beat, getting beat up by tj dillashaw so um couldn't make weight uh didn't look particularly good didn't look look particularly bad but i don't know what he does now so i think it's like three or four in a row two or three between two and four four losses in a row so it's crazy when you see how how good and how regarded Barrow was, you know, just four or five years ago, and to see where he's at now, and he's just on a pretty hard skid. Um, oh well. Uh, Charles Oliveira he beats Christos Diagos by submission. He now has the most submissions in the uh, UFC, which is pretty dope. Uh, Evan Dunham took one of the most brutal knees that I think I've seen in a long time. It was right on the ribs, just crumpled Evan Dunham. He goes down, Tico, good for uh, Francisco Trinaldo for delivering it. Uh, Sergio Moraes beats Ben Saunders by submission. That was a big deal, because Ben Saunders has never been submitted before. And I said this before, I still think this fight should have been on TV. Uh, I just don't think that, that that fight got the respect that it deserved, because it really deserved to uh, be on TV. So that was basically the Sao Paulo card, at least the things I cared about. Um, moving on to Bellator 206, which is going down this weekend. Um, I want to talk about the fight card. So one thing I have to mention about this card is it has 13 preliminary fights. 13. Holy fuck. How, how, well, if you're going to watch this and you want to watch all the fights, you better dedicate an entire day. To try to catch these TVs, catch these fights. Now, the uh, the preliminary card is going to be online on uh, Bellator.com, which is that's pretty dope. I like how they do that. So it's easy. So you can, you can catch all the fights you want to see. Just go to their website. Boom, it's going to be streaming. It's going to be dope. That's awesome. I, I like how they do that. I don't like that it's thirteen fights. That's crazy. Uh, there is a five fight main card. Uh, the first fight is Carrie Melendez versus Dakota Zimmerman. Full disclosure, I don't know either one of those uh, ladies, um, so I don't want to sound uh, uneducated. Uh, Aaron Pico takes on Leandro Higo, or Higo. Uh, Aaron Pico, you guys should know him. Super prospect, super prospect, super athletic, uh, crazy. Um, TJ Dillashaw was just on Joe Rogan's podcast, and he, he kind of trains with Aaron. It was talking about how Aaron's mentality is even more ferocious than even his in terms of competitive drive and wanting to win and things of that nature so i think uh, aaron's got a real future in this sport i think everyone knows that i'm not telling anybody they don't something they don't already know but uh, very excited about that i don't foresee him having any trouble with leandro i mean let's be real aaron's getting favorable matchups in order to continue to build his name and build his record i mean it's it's kind of the uh, the name of the game 
the very first fight of the welterweight grand prix is uh this weekend is going to be the first fight is going to be douglas lima versus andre korshikov um i foresee douglas winning i think he's got better striking better overall game um should be able to get an easy decision. Now, nah, I'm not going to say easy decision. That's not fair to Andre. Andre's a very good fighter. But I, I foresee Lima. Lima's going to be a front runner. At least he's going to make it pretty far in the tournament, in my opinion, for what it's worth. Quentin Jackson fights Vanderlei Silva for the fourth time. Um, now, if Quentin wins, which I predict that he will, are they going to have to do a fifth one? Because that would make them 2-2 two and two in their meetings, right? Because Vanderlei beat him twice in Pride. Brutally, mind you, both times. Quinton beat Vanderlei in the UFC. Brutally. And here we are this weekend. Quinton Jackson versus Silva again. I predict, or I think, that Vanderlei is still susceptible to that same left hook. It's the same punch that Keith Jardine got him with, Quentin Jackson got him with. Um, and there's also questions of Silva's chin. Obviously, he's an older dude now. He's taken an insurmountable amount of punishment over his years. And I'm not talking about just in his fights, but he's also from Shootbox in Curitiba, Brazil, which is, which is renowned for their wars. Or at least, at least uh, they're well known for the sparring wars that they used to have. And I remember the Shoot, shoot the Bucks. Uh, had some real killers back in the day with Vanderlei and Anderson and uh, Shogun and Ninja and all those guys. Uh, they're basically fighting every day, just spar every day and kill each other. So uh, I think over the years, the uh, the wear and tear has really taken its toll on Vanderlei. And I don't foresee uh, Quentin having too much trouble with finding his chin and putting him down. At least that's that's what I see happening. It would be crazy if Vanderlei comes out there like some wrestling wrestling game plan, but that's just not who he is. So... Quinn Jackson, probably by knockout in the first or second, I'm guessing. And then finally, the main event, which is the most anticipated fight, and probably one of the biggest fights that Bellator's put on, in my opinion, but it's the middleweight champion taking on the welterweight champion, Gegard Mousasi versus Rory McDonald. This fight has legit implications. And it is going to be at 185, I believe, I believe it'll be at 185 pounds, so Rory's actually going up. And I don't know that Gateguard can make 170 anyway, even if it was. So um, I guess Rory has the opportunity here to be a double champ. He, he is a big 170, and he cuts a lot of weight, so I'm assuming that he probably he might actually look really good at 185. I favor Gateguard. I think Gateguard's... Um, the, man, the, their skills similar or equal... But his size and strength, he's got a lot of fights, he's got a lot of experience. I think he's probably going to beat Rory by decision. However, if Rory beats him, I would not be shocked. Rory is a legit killer, and he's probably one of the best fighters in the world. I'm very excited about this fight. I hope I hope it's everything that they're saying it's going to be and what I think it is, uh, because I think it's it's something remarkable. And, and it's something that Bellator is doing that can really propel them and continue to, to uh, strengthen their brand. And um, I like it, man. I like. I think it's. I think it's gonna be a really good fight. Um, yeah. Okay. So here we go. Uh, 
So we talked we talked last week about John Jones. Uh, he got 15 months suspension because of a, some kind of snitching clause. So uh, the tagline here is John Jones must provide all information he has about UFC PED users. So he is going to be a snitch. Apparently his his agent said, "Oh no, he doesn't have to snitch on other people. He just has to he has to just uh, disclose information about himself." Well, that defeats the purpose of having getting off by sn you snitch on other people to then further the prosecution of other people. That's how that works. And as it happens to be written in the uh, UFC anti-doping policy, it says as much. Does it is it weird? that the fact that John Jones is a snitch or is telling on his fellow fighters bothers me more than the fact that he tests positive for a very trace amount of, of turnable in the first place. Like, it something just doesn't sit right with me. Like, I, I, almost, I almost lose more respect for him for, talent, for being a tattletale than for just trying to get a competitive advantage or trying to recover, whatever he's using the shit for. Although it, it, it's arguable that it was such a trace amount, it would have helped him anyway, and um, it might have been for something else. So I, I don't know, man. I think, I mean, I get it. I don't know. I just don't know, man. But it, it doesn't sit well with me. I don't like it, and it bothers me. It bothers me that he's 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 rolling over on other people to to get back in there. Under any circumstance, you don't you don't title tell, man. You don't snitch. It's just something that you just don't you don't. You don't break that kind of code. It bothers me. Um, he just happens to be one of the greatest to ever step inside the octagon at the same time. So, the article. Jones can still face a, a full suspension if the information that he does provide to USADA and UFC doesn't amount to anything. So... Now, this is all hearsay. This is according to policy procedure, but that doesn't mean they have to follow what the policy procedure specifically says. And there's going to be a ton of gray area and a ton of leeway. So maybe this is all a front just to get John back in the cage. And maybe he's not, maybe he's not snitching, snitching at all. And they're just going to tell us whatever the fuck they want anyway. And it'll be perceived that John's a snitch, but really all it was is a, is a simple, easy ploy to get John Jones back in the octagon sooner. Now... That would be considered, you know, uh, unscrupulous or immoral behavior. But we're talking about the UFC. We're talking about Dana White. We're talking about uh, professional fighting. So anything can really be going on here. However, if everything they're telling us is true and is accurate, they're saying that John is going to have to give them information about others, whether it be other fighters or other third-party entities, those who provide maybe provide the drugs or whatever um and it has to lead to some kind of prosecution or arrest or criminal behavior or policy violations so his information has to supposedly be valid and confirmable if it is fuck you that's dirty you know what i mean just think for your you know what i mean if it's if this is all a front and this is just the information they're telling us and he's not really giving information, another fuck you. What about that? Another fuck you. Because now you're just lying to the, to, to the, to the fans. And I think either of those uh, ideals are possible. 
or plausible rather um i think there's a lot that we don't know and that we're not told about how the business is actually ran and how things are done and you can argue that that's as a private business that you're right you don't have to disclose things and that's fine um but if you want mixed martial arts to be a legitimate big time sport like the big three you need a little more transparency not that those are perfect obviously they're not i don't want to get into a debate about politics and professional sports but my point being is that to be considered a legit honest organization for a sport you would hope and pray that the information that we are being given through the media through the organization is actually accurate and what's going on um is truthful going forward we'll see what happens um, I don't know but um, I'm sure we'll get some more information very soon okay moving on so UFC 229 is October 6th and they had the press conference on the 20th of September and really what it was in my opinion this is this is from an outsider's perspective was a press launch event for Connor's Whiskey Proper Whiskey. Proper 12 is what it's called, Proper 12. Um, and I kind of, I didn't predict that, that how it went down would go down, but what I did think was that Khabib was just going to sit there and he's not going to, he's not going to, uh, he's not going to bite on McGregor's lures, right? He's not going to, he's not going to bite on his, on his baiting. Um, at first, my first impression was, oh, shit, Connor's drunk. Like, he's coming in with his booze. He's coming in very boisterous and loud, and, and he's, he's trying to make a scene. He's trying to uh, strum up promotion and strum up controversy, which I guess, I mean, he was successful at. He was, he was successful. Um, everybody knows he was talking about uh, Khabib's connections to people and there's all these articles now about Khabib being connected to people of uh, lesser moral standard, and they're kind of, and he, he's taking money from Russian oligarchs. Okay, okay. So it's, this is a big, complicated situation uh, because you have the press conference, which is kind of a separate issue from the accusations pointed at Khabib, and it's complicated. And it's you. You have to have a good attention to detail to kind of pull out all the, all the finer details. But in a nutshell, um, Khabib has accepted money from essentially what a what would equate to a booster, right? Like college boosters where they give money to players. Um, apparently, a couple a couple dudes who are linked to embezzlement. Well, one guy's linked to embe embezzlement. Okay. Where he took some money out of a, out of like a fight promotion kind of deal, it ended up being like thirty-five million bucks in American or something like that. But he 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 embezzled. He's in jail now. Uh, his name's Magomedov. Ma Magomedov. Okay. And then we all know that Khabib had pled for Putin to give him immunity and release him. But of course, uh, Khabib is going to say that because this guy gave Khabib a lot of money. Uh, to continue to do what he loves. He also paid for his back surgery uh, that was in Germany. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not gonna 
I'm not going to defend whatever this Magomedov, Magomedov guy has done. In terms of what I've read, it's mostly just uh, he's a thief. He stole, he stole a bunch of money, um, which some of that stolen money probably, I'm sure, went to Khabib's pocket. But as a professional athlete, um, sometimes that grind's tough. And if someone's offering to pay for a surgery that you can't pay for, because what, what this Magomedov guy, guy is doing is, with a lot of fighters, not just, not just Khabib and not just Russian fighters, mind you, um, is he's, he's covering some expenses that fighters can't pay for themselves. And morally, you can argue whether that's the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do, because obviously Magomedov is, is he's also leveraging, leveraging this relationship with these fighters to gain other things, okay? That's how the world of business and the world of money works. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. I'm gonna give you this up front because I'm gonna need your services later in the future. You don't have to like the way that kind of business is ran or that, that kind of way things work, but it is the way it works. And America's the same fucking way. There are just as many slimy, manipulative American businessmen as Russian businessmen, but we want to vilify this guy for doing the same thing that Americans do all the time. So, um, and I'm... I mean, from a perspective, your back's fucked up. You don't have health care insurance, at least none that's going to cover a surgery. And this guy comes up and says, hey, man, I'm going to take care of your bills. I guarantee you 99% of fighters or professional athletes or somebody who really needs to get it done are going to go, oh, thank you so much. I'm, you know what I mean? Nobody's going to turn that down. So I don't know if it's fair to... Um, to strictly, strictly uh, reconsider your opinions of Khabib based on that information. Now, the other interesting fact is is Khabib's connection, to, or I'm sorry, Khabib's association with Ali Abdelaziz, who is uh, his manager. Now, uh, Ali is also a manager of very many fighters. Um, to include American fighters, to include uh, a bunch of different fighters. But basically where his sliminess comes into is that, it, some of you guys may not know this, but he used to be the vice president at World Series of Fighting. And he also owns a company called Dominance MMA LLC. And this is his management brand. This is how, this is, these are the fighters that he has under his, uh, under his umbrella. And the accusations are, that he, when he was running the matchmaking for the World Series of Fighting, is that he would only set up his fighters under his brand. Um, he would only set them up with the best fights, the, the, and he would not. He would disregard people who weren't under his own umbrella. And I'm sure there was some dirty business where he would probably tell fighters, "Hey, if you come sign with me, I'll make sure I get you the fights in this league." And I'm, and that's dirty as fuck for sure. He's probably not a good dude. Um, so. The whole, I guess the best way to explain it is, is well, he's acting as a vice president. According to bylaws and policy, that's, you can't double dip. You can't, um, it's illegal to have other interests when you're trying to control another entity. So, for example, if, if I owned a restaurant, I'm a restaurant manager, okay, or I'm a restaurant owner, but I also own a meat, a meat company, okay, 
it, because of conflicting interest, I couldn't as as a as the business of the restaurant. I can't go to my own meat business and purchase meat for my restaurant. Does that make sense? So he, that's essentially what he was doing with his fighters. He was making sure that only his fighters were actually getting the fights in World Series of Fighting. And there's some other things there. I'm sure that were. I mean, I'm, I mean, we're only getting bits and pieces of exactly what the problem is. So. So he's a questionable guy. He's, he's got questionable business practices. Um, they ended up part ways with him. Obviously, he's back to just being a manager. And uh, he had falsified some documents saying that his wife was the actual owner of Dominance MMA while he was the vice president through World Series of Fighting. So, you know, I, I just don't I don't think these claims... And, and I'm not defending Aziz in any way, shape, or form. However... What he's done, what he's doing, what he did is exactly what several people do. They're all a bunch of bitches. They're all, they're all a bunch of uh, grimy businessmen who are uh, lying, stealing, and cheating their way into success. He's, he's one of millions that do it in all kinds of businesses. So to, to be shocked by it. But that, but that also doesn't mean that he's not good at being an MMA manager. He's kind of a success a su- success story in that sense uh, because he's, he's like one of the most uh, prominent MMA manager, fight managers in the game, for sure. That's a fact. So he's doing something right in that sense. Like if he, because your manager's the guy sitting down uh, arranging the contract, right? So he's apparently good, at ne- good enough at negotiating contracts to where he's getting these guys what they want and he's getting them paid. So... And also, let's not forget that we are not at the business table. We are not. We are not witness to what's actually going on. And if you think that everybody, most successful people, do not have a high moral standard, that's unfortunately why they are so successful, because they're willing to step on people and they're willing to do things that are um, less than legal, so to speak, in order to gain an advantage or or. Maybe that's the wrong way to say it, but to get a business edge. Um, but to simply say, oh, well, that makes Khabib a bad guy, I don't think that's accurate. I don't really think Khabib's a bad guy at all. I think he's just doing just like anybody else. He's just trying to do for himself. And Ali has a reputation to get, get the fighters what they need, contract-wise, money-wise, sponsor-wise, whatever. That's his job, and he's good at it. So from, from a standpoint from a fighter, Khabib just wants to focus on fighting. You know, and he's trying to choose the best person for him to do that. Now, should he have chose a different manager who has a better reputation? Or maybe he's less sneaky or less whatever? Maybe, but that also might mean that might translate to less promotion, less money, less sponsors. And when, you, when you're fighting for a living, your window of, of activity is pretty narrow. And you want to set yourself up the best you can while you still have the time to fight. So... I'm not going to fault Khabib for that, for his associates. It's not like Khabib is linked to murders or legit organized crime or anything of that nature. He's, he's linked to shady businessmen. That's who he's, and, and all businessmen are like used car salesmen. They're just kind of grimy, slimy, and they're going to do what it takes to get the job done, good, bad, or indifferent. And that's how I feel about it. And I'm sure I'm, I might be a little bit off on some of that information. It's a lot to take in. I'll tell you this, if you guys go to uh, bloodyelbow.com, they have this pretty in-depth article about it that if you really want to learn more, read that fucking article. It'll probably take you, you know, 30 or 40 minutes. 
uh, to read up on. Back to the conference. Um, it was as expected, I suppose. Connor is acting like a buffoon, like he always does, in a good way. I don't mean that in a negative way. He was acting like he normally does. He's strumming up business for the promotion. Um, the, the, a couple of things to note that, that bothered me, though, is that he's, I felt like he was overreaching for conflict with Khabib. Connor's a super smart guy, and I think the whole, the whole basis of this trolley incident was he knew that he needed to create a big, a big hoopla even before the fight was announced because he knew that Khabib wasn't going to hold up his, his end on the, in, the, in the promotion side of things. So he had to do something really dramatic, a really big deal to, to strum up people talking. Um, Connor also took advantage of the fact that, hey, I got a, I got a, a national, international press conference. I want to I wanna pump my brand of whiskey. This is brilliant, really. I mean, it might be annoying to fight fans because it, it was a straight-cut promo for his whiskey. Um, and like I said before, at first I thought that, oh, man, this guy this guy's losing it. Uh, he's drunk or he's, he's definitely behaving as if he's drunk. And then I was thinking that Connor's a super fucking smart dude. And he's training right now. I wonder if... if because you know that Connor is a big mental warfare kind of guy. So he's going to make comments to Khabib about his Russian connections to crime and about, his, about knowing about his associates and, and uh, Ali's son, Noah, all this stuff. Like He knows these inmates. That's, that's going to fuck with Khabib's head a little bit, for sure. But what also is going to fuck with Khabib is Khabib's observations of what Connor's behavior is. If Khabib looks at Connor and goes, oh, you're just a drunk. You're not taking this fight serious. You're not training hard. I'm not drinking alcohol. Why are you why are you getting drunk when you should be training? You should be focusing on your body. For all we know, the Connor could have been drinking apple juice. Because if you notice, when he got to the when he got to the, the press conference, he had his bottle of the proper 12. And then he goes, Oh, well, I didn't know if security was gonna let me in this bottle, so I snuck I snuck this uh, this smaller bottle, like almost uh, almost like a flask, you know, it was like flask sized. I snuck this one in here, and he—that's what he poured the drinks from, right? And then he gives—he gives Dana a drink, and he takes a drink for us. Tries to give one to Connor, which he knew that could—I'm sorry—tries to give one to Khabib. Khabib knew he was, or Connor knew that Khabib wasn't going to drink it. Takes it back. How do we know that wasn't just fucking apple juice? How do you know that this isn't the level of Connor McGregor's mental fucking warfare? Is that? He's actually fucking with Khabib in a sense where Khabib's looking at Connor going, man, you are out of control. You're living the life to a level to where you can't even come to a press conference without drinking and getting drunk. You know, I think that kind of behavior, that kind of, that kind of uh, cognitive ability might really be Connor's brilliance. Now, I don't know. It very, could, it very well could be that he's drunk and he's acting, he's acting like he is a little out of control because I'll be honest with you, and I had a conversation with my buddy about this, I thought initially that Connor's behavior was reminiscent of when Ronda fought Holly Holm, where I, he was overreaching, he was trying too hard to strum up controversy with uh, Khabib, kind of like when, when Ronda seemingly got, got super angry and was calling Holly Holm, oh, you're just a liar, you try to be a preacher's daughter, but you're a terrible human being. She's just basically making up information about Holly to, so she can get mad at her, and then she got her head kicked off. Because it turns out uh, she doesn't have very good coaching. So 
initially I was like, fuck, man, Connor, Connor is losing it. Connor, Connor, you know, might be, might be living too wild right now. And he's coming to a press conference and he's acting drunk and he's overreaching for conflict with Khabib. I was like, oh, this reminds me of the Ronda situation. I hope he doesn't get his head punted off or in this case, get the shit beat out of him on the ground. So I've been, I've been chewing the fat on this press conference for the last, you know, few days. And I'm, I, I'm very, I'm not convinced, but I'm very interested in, in whether this was all an act. Like, where this is literally Connor's mental warfare onto Khabib. He wants the perception to be that he's out of control, that he's wild, that he's trying to create controversy just to get into Khabib's head. Maybe that little bit of information will relax Khabib to a point to where He's maybe he's, he's maybe he's adjusted his training a little bit, or maybe he's thinking a certain way, or maybe he's not taking Connor as serious now. He doesn't feel like he doesn't feel like Connor's taking it serious, so he's going to take Connor less serious. And and whether that works or not, that's another debate, right? Because because Khabib appears on the outside to be quite a mentally uh, sound dude, and who wouldn't buy into it. But um, I think I think it just adds that much more to the to the wrinkles of this fight and what it really means and and. Either way, whoever wins and loses this fight, their fighting careers are going to be changed forever. Um, whether Connor exposes Khabib in the stand-up department, knocks him out, maybe Khabib's got a terrible chin, who knows? He's not been hit a lot, with the exception of like Michael Johnson. And Ally Kinta hit him a few times, but didn't seem to phase him. He walked right through it. So, um, either one, those fighters are going to get exposed. Uh, it could be the most anticipated UFC fight of all time, and uh, man, I can't fucking wait for it. Uh, um, this is the dopest thing. Side note to that: the goat, so to speak. I, I use quotes. Artem Lobov had r- recently. <laughs> now, this is the funniest. This is might be one of the funniest quotes of all time. Uh, it says, "Khabib doesn't have any striking, but but Connor." McGregor can easily outgrapple him. Okay, first of all, to say that Khabib has no striking is a ridiculous statement. To say that McGregor can outgrapple him is equally as ridiculous. Nope. Nobody's outgrappling Khabib. That's not happening. Time and time and time again, 26 fights in a row. I'm pretty sure it's 26. Khabib has proven that he's the best grappler in the world. Bar none. At least at 155 pounds. Does that mean that Connor can't put up a fight on the ground? No. Does that mean that Connor's garbage on the ground? Absolutely not. But the same inverse is true. Khabib, just because Ally Kenta hit Khabib a few times because Khabib's head was straight in the air and his head movement wasn't very good and his he was kind of flat-footed with his striking, that doesn't mean that he did not win the motherfucking rounds on the feet. He still beat Ally Kenta on the feet quite easily, quite dominantly. There was no controversy about who won on the feet. So that doesn't mean that he's a dog shit striker. You're talking about two of the very best in the very in the, the very best in the very best organization in the world right now. They're they're all both these men can fight everywhere, but each one has a very specific skill set where they're so dominant that it looks as if they're not as well rounded as you would think. Connor can can submit people. Connor can grapple. Connor can wrestle. He cannot wrestle and grapple as well as Khabib. Khabib can strike. Khabib can throw punches. He can throw combinations. 
but that doesn't mean that he can do it as well as McGregor does with the same amount of power and the same amount of timing. Lobov obviously is just building the fight for his his lord and savior, so to speak. That's what he's that's what he's trying to do. He's just and and he's always going to be Team McGregor forever, right? We understand that, but that statement is absolutely ridiculous. And I think if you cornered Lobov on that, I think he would even have to admit that that, that there's no chance that McGregor can easily outgrapple him. That's not going to happen. Khabib is is the best grappler right now that we may have ever seen. So, I think I'm done saying that. So next up, uh, Gustafson is really pining at Johnny Jones for a fight. He really wants that rematch. Um, who can blame him? Gustafson needs to do whatever he can to stay relevant in the, in the light heavyweight division. And a fight with John Jones is going to propel him to that. Um, I had said last week, me personally, I'd rather see a DC John Jones fight, but that's just me being selfish. I wouldn't be mad at a Gustafson John Jones fight. I would be dope. I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna kick that that fight out of bed for eating crackers, if, so to speak. If you get my drift, like that's a great fight. I would, might prefer a different one, but if if Gus, Gus continues to strum up more media about it, and and I think if he gets a little bit more aggressive with John Jones, you might actually see the shift turn and try and really try to get Johnny Bones against uh, Gus. Uh, the first fight was one of the most epic light heavyweight fights we've ever seen. Um, I think there was a lot of factors in that fight that would... I don't think... Well, I guess what I mean by that is... I think a rematch between Gus and Jones would not look like the first fight. I don't believe that. I don't think it's going to look, like, look, look like, that, like that at all. And a lot of times with epic fights, you expect... Last time. But my prediction on this one is that... John Jones Jones definitely uh, wins, uh, not easily, but I think it's going to be a little bit more dominant. That's all. But fuck it, man. Let's see it. I definitely want to see it and see what's going on. Uh, up next, now bear with me. I know this is boxing, not MMA, but I think it's important to, at least uh, as a footnote, talk about uh, the Joshua Alexander uh, Povetkin fight uh johnson or joshua beats him in the seventh chaos him looked really good really strong as we would expect i don't think there's a single person on the planet that expected anthony joshua to lose that fight by any means although uh alexander is a very good boxer the real fight's the winner between fury and wilder to face then to then face joshua uh i i theorize that if uh if Wilder beats Fury, you're not going to see... You're going to see Joshua probably fight two more times before he is willing to accept a fight with Wilder. For whatever reason, he does not want to fight that guy. And it's maddeningly frustrating for me because I want to see that fight more than anything else. Okay, that's it, man. I hope you guys enjoyed this edition of the MMA Reaction. Um, if you guys have any questions, comments, concerns, or statements, please hit me up at the... MMA reaction at gmail.com or on my Instagram at the underscore MMA underscore reaction. Thanks for listening and I appreciate the fuck out of you guys. I'll check you later.